What up, what up? Welcome to episode 39 of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys, ready to talk some wrestling. We had a bunch of blood and guts spilling over this last week. AEW had its um, lead up to double or nothing, and it was quite the gory matchup. Plus, we have uh, the WWE Wall Street Roundup, a new section of Keep the Kayfabe, led by our stockholder matt michelson but before we get into all that let's introduce the boys real quick up in glendale someone who keeps it regal steve grobschmidt how are you grabby will you stop <laughs> no i will not okay didn't get that are, one is that you? uh no that one no right no is that head. a gorilla monsoon that's or? absolutely gorilla monsoon mm. yes okay yeah got it yeah if you had said handful of hair i totally would have been all over it <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice deep cup there, Steve. And that's only because <laughs> I've been watching a lot of wrestling from 89 to like 92 lately. Yeah. Oh, no God. free no free ads Enid, on this show. Enan uh, and Monsoon <laughs> are so great. It's just man. I, I really miss him as a commentator. He's yes. like the voice of my youth. Yes. He's passed on, right? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, he was the man. All right, you heard his voice already, but let's cruise down to Bayview anyway. Talk to somebody who keeps it freshly squeezed, Mr. Matt Michelson. How are you, Matt? Here comes the money. Here we go. Wall Street Roundup tonight. Yeah, I can't wait. Well, and we have a lot of conversations, I I think, kind of slamming WWE and some of the things they've done over the past year. Um, As a WWE shareholder, I feel obligated to disclose that to our listeners. Um, it's interesting to read what WWE puts out there for their financial shareholders, more on the business side, like the true business of professional wrestling versus, you know, the stories you hear about on other podcasts or in the media. So it's interesting when you look at the numbers and you see where the money's coming from and what's actually happening. There's also a lot going on that um, I wasn't aware of, and I don't really think hits the mainstream which really speaks to their business acumen, but I don't want to give it all away right now. We'll get to it in due course. It's going to be interesting. I love it. What, what a great teaser. Talk about a curtain jerker from Matt Michelson. We're down a man this week. Uh, Charlie Michael, uh, he does have a legendary podcasting voice, but he's also a legendary underwear model. He's down in Chicago right now on a photo shoot, so he can't be joining us tonight. So it's just going to be uh, the three horsemen tonight. Uh, so we'll try to keep your attention here. He's a real man's man. He's a man. <laughs> <laughs> our boy charlie michael awesome all right so let's talk about a little blood and guts this was um a highly anticipated pay-per-view and it wasn't a pay-per-view excuse me uh it's got a name of a pay-per-view like it. right and uh it had a build-up that um the main event between the pinnacle and inner circle in a 
war games, steel cage, hell in the cell all combined into one um, was going to make for a classic. And I thought it really was. Did you guys get to see this, uh, all the intros and everything? Cause I'll weigh in last. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, who, who do you think won just on the buildup standpoint, would you say? Go ahead, man. Well, I was just going to say, as far as leading into it um, and just the intros go, I'll just stick to the intros for now. Cause I'm sure we'll walk through this match step-by-step. I personally really loved the Pinnacles gear. I thought the moment I saw those guys come out in all white, the first thing I thought to myself is, oh my God, this match is going to be a bloodbath because nothing looks better mm-hmm. on white gear than red blood. And <laughs> if pro wrestling hey, has taught us nothing over the years, it's that. Um, I think the inner circles gear was also interesting. It kind of outlined the cities they were from, but they were wearing almost like prison jumpsuits. Everyone's stuff said DOC, jail, prison, whatever the case might be on it, which I thought made mm-hmm. a lot of sense once they got into the cage too. You know, it looks like they're in right. prison. They're in almost like a prison riot fight for most of this match. So really great Precisely. way to kick off the match. I And we'll touch on this again and again, but I think from this first moment of the match, they did a great job establishing the tone of the match. And I don't think it's a tone we've seen since probably, I would argue, the late 90s, early 2000s of pro wrestling back when things really felt truly violent and vicious. Um, you could really tell there was some hatred between these two factions. So great way to kick off the match. I thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you on the entrance. I think like, at first, like, I, I mean, I really did appreciate the sort of penitentiary thing that the uh, Jericho team had going for them. But I, th- I thought the exact same thing when I saw the white. I'm like, oh, these these guys just are walking out with blank canvases for the, the artwork <laughs> they're about to do. Um, yeah. And I thought, yeah, the intensity that led up to this match, they, they did a masterful job with the slow build for weeks and the parlay the other week. And it's just, this is like, yeah, it was the slow burn and it, it all paid off because you really believe they hated each other, like you said. And I thought that uh, the intensity, I mean, we're going to get into the match, but I mean, just it carried after the bell. I think every single person had intensity that, that elevated all of them. Absolutely. I'm glad um, you guys, you guys both took the words out of my mouth. I felt the same way when I saw the pinnacle come all out in white. And I think the crowd picked up on that too, because when the inner circle come out and they sing along with the theme song of Judas, I mean, you could tell like you, Matt, that it was going to be a bloodbath and they were screaming that theme song so loud it really got me sitting at home very excited so it's just um a testament of how nice it is to have the crowd back at um live shows what do you got matt yeah i was just gonna echo that i mean that that is the one other thing i noticed at the beginning of this match and i'm pretty sure AEW made a point of it that this was the biggest live crowd they've had at daily's place to date. Mm-hmm. i think ever since starting the pandemic shows there so the nice. crowd definitely added to the energy of this match. And you mm-hmm. can tell, even watching it on TV, it felt like almost like watching a pro wrestling show pre-pandemic era. So, yeah, shout out to the crowd as well for really helping carry this match. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is a nitpick other than I, the one thing I would have changed about the intro was Jericho came out with such a glare on his face like he was all business. I was almost hoping he wouldn't 
acknowledge his own theme song being sung but then he kind of did that grin and kind of got you know and i just kind of minor detail but i'm i, I kind of wish he would have made it different because of the the stakes and the build-up and he would have just been like no i'm not in the mood for that today i agree i that thought actually crossed my mind that is the, also something that the intro to this match kind of i don't know i quite frankly like the crowd singing along to Jericho's music, I think on the cruise or back when they first did it, that was cool. Um, and carrying it on for a little while has been fun. I think it's kind of at a point where, you know, every time you see Jericho smile and act like it's the first time they've ever done it, I just kind of roll my eyes like, okay, when is when are they going to get some new, you know, thing to latch on to? I yeah. don't know. Now, as a fan, I get it. If and when at some point we go to an AEW live show, I'll probably also be that guy singing along to the song. Oh my, yeah, of course. Yeah, no doubt. But it's I not, do think they need to switch it up a little bit or find some way to get the crowd focused on something else, just for if nothing else, then just to change it up a little bit. It's a thousand percent not going away. I mean, yeah. the reason <laughs> Jericho grins is he literally can't help himself because it's purely <laughs> yeah. masturbation for him basically walking out is. there hearing these people sing his song and that is almost my favorite part watching at home on tv even though people have masks on you can still tell that 90 percent of the people don't know all of the words to the song and they're just like trying to you know fit in and be like they know all the words, but they just can't wait till the chorus drops and say, Judas and Judas and Bob. I mean, that's when it hits. So yeah. it's like when no. uh, Sammy Guevara, before he turned more intense, oh, like he is now, remember when he'd sing along, yeah, but he yeah. just, he purposely yep. hammed up that he didn't know the words. That was great. Hilarious. All right, enough about the intros. Let's get into the meat of the match here. So uh, Sammy Guevara started out the match for the inner circle. We talked about in our group text, um, that Sammy Guevara really ele- elevated his game. Uh, I remember there was a Canadian or a Spanish fly off the uh, top rope between the two rings that he executed. Mm. He had a lot of spots uh, in the beginning of this match, and there was a botch. You could kind of tell he was supposed to jump off the top rope and hit somebody from the pinnacle. It didn't pan out. You know, it's going to happen. But it's okay. Sammy low-key one of the mvps of this match was he not yes because especially i mean honestly as we'll get into i think everybody came out of it stronger than they went in but i think yeah if i had to give an mvp i would give it to him that intensity and again i think it was helped by the crowd just getting super into it in the beginning and all the way through but he just is a man possessed and i think like just to watch his evolution from the first episode of dynamite when he wrestled Cody and then joined Mm -hmm. the inner circle. And then he was the comic relief, you know, he's getting hit by a golf cart to now, you know, little by little getting more aggressive. And then he leaves the group comes back. I think his story has been really like, I mean, that's what I love about AEW. They make the younger talent. I think he's one of the many success stories. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent on every point you just made, Steve. I, the tenacity is the first thing I noticed with Sammy Guevara in this match when the bell actually rang and you could tell every move he did was executed really well. Not that it isn't from Sammy Guevara. He's an amazing wrestler, but I think he, every move he delivered, he had a little extra like spunk behind it. And you could just tell between that and the look on his face, these guys went into this match, Sammy Guevara, especially expecting to get hurt expecting to hurt other people. So you have this 
extra surge of adrenaline and focus and rage behind every little thing that they did. And particularly with Sammy Guevara, it really showed through and it really helped make this match into what it was and make the match, make him seem like that much more of a star. So really great way to open the match. The uh, member of FTR that opened the match with him from the pinnacle apologies. I can never remember who these two guys are. I know their names. Couldn't tell you which one's, which yes. Thank you. Um, the bald guy, not the bald guy. The other guy, I, I, which I believe is Dax. Dax oh, is, is the bald guy. Dex Dex is Cash, the guy. Cash Wheeler is the haired fellow. Uh, and also the one that also notable in that he just jacked that asshole that like uh, went after Bret Hart at the WWE Hall of Fame that one year. Remember that? Right. Like yeah. they're carrying Very him off, scene. but he just goes, bam. It was oh, so great. He immediately baby faced yep. himself. Old in school. Real yes. 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 Yeah. So, um, but I got to give a shout out to him in the beginning of this match too, because I don't think I saw the actual spot. Um, there was a lot of picture in picture throughout this match, which I think is one gripe that I had about it. Um, now granted it's on television, so there's only so much you can do, but getting back from that, um, I think in the first few minutes of this match, I didn't see the spot, but all of a sudden cash wheeler is busted open and he is bleeding like crazy. And, what kind of cracked me up is prior to this match, I think it was a few days beforehand, Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer um, interviewed Chris Jericho on their show. And they were talking to Jericho about this match, kind of like, what can we expect? Is this going to be like people getting their intestines ripped out? You know, <laughs> like asking questions like this. And Jericho really downplayed it um, almost to the point where I was under the impression that this match might actually under deliver a little bit. But it actually, in, as a whole, I think, over-delivered even from what I expected before hearing Jericho's interview. So um, so the moment I see the member of FTR starting to bleed all over the place, I immediately thought, oh, God, yeah, what Jericho said, yeah, that's going to go right out the window. This is going to get violent. So um, so even in the first few minutes of this match, Sammy Guevara was doing great. Guy from FTR is all busted open. The tone was set very early. And that carried throughout the rest of the match, which we'll get to as we unpack the rest of it. Right. Yeah. Sean Spears uh, of Pinnacle, I think, elevated his game uh, even more so. I thought Hagar, Jake Hagar, who I thought has just been kind of meh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Very meh uh, for the inner circle. I mean, he's a big guy, but he doesn't really do much. But I thought I, I always yes, feel I, I kind I, of feel I, like the only reason he was signed to AEW. This might be completely harsh on on me, but is that Jim Ross loves him because he's an Oklahoma guy, and I feel like yeah, it's true. Just, he's and I think that's probably plays a hand on why he was there, and he just hasn't to me done a whole lot great. But no, yeah, tonight mm-hmm. or at that show, he was intense. Like he actually was like, "Wow, I love this fire." Yeah, yeah, and actually, yeah, he Mike just that to check that night. Just to add to Mike, you mentioned Sean Spears a minute ago. Um, you mentioned earlier a spot with Sammy Guevara doing a Spanish fly off the top rope. I believe that was with Sean Spears when that move was executed. It was. And so for our listeners who, if you haven't seen the match, first of all, you've got to go watch it. But there is a spot in the match. And even if you listen to the rest of this, we're not spoiling anything. Hearing it is one thing. Seeing it's a whole different story. There is a spot in the match, though, where I believe Sean Spears is on the top rope of one of the rings, not in the corner, like actually just in the center. 
and he sort of springboards from from one rope to the next rope of the other ring whereby Sammy Guevara grabs him and then they both jump into a Spanish fly. So it was almost like a springboard into a Spanish fly, which quite frankly, I don't know if I've seen this before. It was an incredible move. Never. Um, quickly followed though, Mike, like you mentioned by a botch and Steve, I, you know, saw the look on your face, kind of like what botch are you referring to? So I, remember, I, yeah. I, I did notice this. None of the other podcasts I've listened to have mentioned it. So yeah, let's, let's bring this up. So, so Sammy Guevara at some point in the match, I don't know who else was in, the ring yet um there was a lot going on but regardless sammy guevara sort of does a springboard from one top rope to the top rope of another ring and it looked like he was just going to sort of launch himself into a member of the pinnacle didn't quite play out the way he had hoped he sort of crashed and burned like if you imagine um you know someone running and just tripping and sort of face planting and skidding on their chest he like it not look like off a- he slipped off the ropes i think on the top on the top rope, he was going to do like a, a clothesline, almost like AJ Styles move. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was unfortunate. Um, I definitely caught it. I got to give a shout out, though, to Excalibur because he he didn't ignore it. He acknowledged it right away. Mm-hmm. But they did. It, I, I forget what exactly they said about it, but immediately they spun it into something that was actually somewhat believable and just kind of like, a well, yeah, things happen. Um, so mm-hmm. shout out to Excalibur for sort of helping Sammy Guevara, you know, get through that moment and get on to the next thing. So it, that, that you could, you could tell Sammy was pissed too. Yeah. Sammy was real pissed. You could tell, um, I think it was one of the members of, um, LAX Santana Ortiz that was like, come on, Sammy, we got the rest of the match to do. Cause he was nailing it. He was mm-hmm. nailing every spot until that one botch, but, um, uh, Santana or Ortiz, I don't remember which one was just like, come on, man, get your head back in the game. And Santana Ortiz, I believe like they were born to wrestle this match, mm-hmm. uh, this style. I love the face paint when they come out. They're believable as hell. I kind of would have liked a little more prison weapons out of them. I see mm. them usually come out with like a sock with a piece with a soap bar in there. I would have liked to seen a little shiv, you know, they were wearing the penitentiary uh, get up. It would have been cool to see a lot more prison rules in my well, opinion. I mean, to be fair, they did stick MGF in the forehead with a fork. Um, okay. 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 It they got them from the cafeteria, yeah, but it, it definitely <laughs> wasn't shiv though. I agree. I think I, I think I was listening to the what culture podcast and I had even thought this before I heard them say it, but I do agree with them. Um, a fork to the forehead in pro wrestling just quite frankly doesn't work for me. There's a lot of things you can do to create, make people cringe and, you know, do things like that. I think a fork is just such a strange weapon. Cause like, first of all, you go into this match, kind of like you said, Mike, like prison rules, what are you going to do with a fork? Right? Like why not use like a shiv or some other weapon or maybe even something that's not meant to cut people. Right. Like, like a blunt force weapon more. Um, I don't know. The the fork spot didn't really do a lot for me. I did love seeing MJF get, you know, all bloodied up though and held like a back stuck by pig. members. Yeah, he finally got what was coming to him. Well but little... did he? <laughs> yeah. All right, Matt. You mentioned something earlier about how there was a lot of picture in picture going on in this match. And that was my biggest um gripe with it as well. Uh it really lost a lot of the momentum and they honestly interrupted in a lot of key moments. I mainly hated it the most because my boy Wardlow got dogged big time because in his entrance, it was during picture in picture. We didn't hear the pop. 
and he was one against three other members of the inner circle and he took him on like a champ so that kind of sucked i really wish they would have saved this for uh a pay-per-view where it would be uninterrupted and right. later on we'll talk about um another and a key interruption during p- picture and picture that was key during the match go ahead i wonder Steve. if um and I, I'm not a TV executive, despite what some of you listeners might think. Um, but I, um, you know, they've done this before. And it's just maybe it was a lost opportunity that like a show like this, that was so much like they put so much into. It's too bad they couldn't have had some sponsor buy it so that you had like limited interu- commercial interruptions, you know, like where I mean, they've done that. I know NXT has done that before and stuff where it's like the first hour will be no commercials and then you just figure out another way to advertise but that that match mm-hmm. could have benefited from that because um i know they have to go to commercial break but man that did interrupt the flow and then yeah wardlow could have been mvp but he kind of got get jabbed a little bit there yeah 100 percent. Right. and there was even a spot where it was supposed to be picture in picture near the end of the match and they just went to full-blown commercial no yeah. picture that, that was really disappointing mm. um but on a positive note, Mike, yeah, your boy Wardlow, seriously, I, I did everything I could to stay engaged in this match, focus on it. Um, and yeah, when I saw Wardlow come in, even though it was during a commercial break, I definitely got excited. And you could just tell watching the picture, um, even without the crowd noise, commentary, anything, when he stepped into that ring, everybody looked at him kind of was looking at each other like what do we do and he just had this look on his face like bring it on and the pain's coming (laughs) right and and three members of the inner circle sort of you know are starting to surround him and he just looks at all three of them and just waves them all on like just bring it on all three of you at once and then if you watch he manhandles all three of these guys at the same time and comes out on top during this whole sequence it's just unreal it i really wish this had been during the actual match that was televised, not picture in picture, because I think it would have carried a lot more weight and really helped promote Wardlow and just how much of a monster over the top heel he is right now. Oh yeah. They sandbagged the shit out of him. And for me personally, I've been waiting a whole damn year for a crowd to get into Daly's place to see what kind of pop, if more people are on the same page as I am and how excited I am about this dude. Uh, his confidence is, you know, overflowing right now. I really think he's starting to believe in his talent and his potential. And he's starting to deliver, too, with his promos. Um, Warlow's got a really, really bright future. I'm going to stay on this train, and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Um, another big part of this match was when Tully Blanchard uh, attacked the referee to gain the key to <laughs> the cage. And that was during picture-in-picture, which could have helped a lot. Well, I mean, if you're paying attention, but maybe you're not paying attention. Sometimes I look at my phone when I'm during the picture-in-picture just to take a break because a lots of times... Low, yeah, I have a very low percentage of paying attention during picture-in-picture. Like, for right. some reason, I cannot, like... Sometimes I consciously try, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch that little window. Yeah, But so many times exactly. I get distracted, yeah. There's only so many Burger King commercials I can watch or listen to. I have to, you know, I got to look at my phone every 15, half hour, whatever it is. Well, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I got to stay on top of my game. But um, yeah, 
this happened in a small little picture, just as small as our Zoom calls that we're looking on right now. Uh, Tully Blanchard assaulted the ref to gain the key to open the door to get MJF out of the ring uh, to be followed by Chris Jericho. Um, and they made their way on the top of the cage, which is like, you know, the climax of the match, how they kind of messed up the timing. I just think maybe the timing was all off uh, of this match a little bit because it's just very strange that there was very, so, um, very many key moments that were interrupted with commercials. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. That moment where Tully gets the key and MJF escapes and climbs up to the top of the cage that all happened picture in picture and Jericho quickly followed him up there. Um, thankfully when they came back from the commercials, they were on top of the cage and nothing too crazy had happened yet. So I guess given the fact that you've got a half hour long match spread across multiple commercial breaks, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They do great television. I think they did the best that they could have with, you know, what they had. Um, I suppose nothing there's watching someone slowly climb up to the top carefully. is not terribly great television. (laughs) So maybe they figured having him actually climb up there during the break is like the best use of time versus, the announcers having to kill time why why he's carefully climbing <laughs> right well i think if i i think they were just off a little bit maybe in the communication because they're probably like tolly's got the key we're gonna take a little break you know and then they yeah. climb up but uh um, yeah. i don't know we'll never know it's it's in the past it's history and what else is history is um the ending of this match did you were you guys surprised at this um they basically waved the white flag, the inner circle waving the white flag, like, don't push Chris off the top, Chris, uh, you know, MJF. That was kind of surprising to me that I, um, the inner circle cared about their leader that much to protect his uh, well-being the in, a, guys. in a gruesome match like this. Yeah, for me, um, I didn't really see this ending coming. I honestly didn't know how it was going to end. I was sort of guessing some sort of some crazy multi-man submission in the ring. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I quite frankly, I know there's a lot of controversy online right now about the ending of this match for a number of reasons. However, I thought the ending of this match was great for a, a number of reasons. Um, so first and foremost, you have MJF, Chris Jericho, the two leaders of the two factions, the two guys who have sort of been, you know, at the top in their own respective ways, facing off on top of the cage. Like what better way to end this, you know, cinematically, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just the different camera shots of MJF's face with the red background and his face covered in blood with the white gear. Like you couldn't have sold this any better. It just even visually. So, you know, we see MJF starting to yell down at the inner circle. I'm going to throw him off the top if you don't surrender. Surprisingly, maybe not so surprisingly, Sammy Gravar is the one to say, yeah, we surrender. It's it's over. It's over. Um, and being that MJF and Chris Jericho were right at the edge of the cage, uh, deep down, I was kind of like, I think he's going to throw him off. Um, but then we see the match end. But then they're both just kind of standing there at the top. And immediately, maybe five seconds after the bell rings, I thought, he's going to do it anyway. He's going to push him off. And sure enough, mm-hmm. we see MJF push Chris Jericho off the top of the cage he falls 20 feet, crashes through the ramp, and not very far either, which sort of gave me the impression that there wasn't a ton of padding under the ramp. I, I heard later, and I think it was Brian Alvarez who mentioned this, um, 
that the ramp underneath the ramp was nothing but cardboard boxes that had been crushed up. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you've seen Shane McMahon take these huge bumps or even Sammy Guevara, like in stadium stampede, they'll have a giant pad that the wrestler will land on. But in this case, it was nothing but cardboard boxes piled up under the stage. So you have Chris Jericho, who's what, 50 years old, taking a 20 foot fall into a pile of cardboard boxes. I don't even think I would do that quite frankly. Um, but I know a lot of fans were kind of pissing and moaning about how this went down because you could clearly see that the stage was gimmicked in some way. Um, you know, right. it was clearly a piece of plywood with like fake diamond plating on top. And you also had Excalibur yeah. who, a second before that had said, Oh, that stage is concrete. Well, we all saw it was not concrete. <laughs> um, concrete oh, doesn't man. bend that way. Yeah, no, but regardless yeah, that of all plated- that, yeah, it just, just to finish that thought, I guess, for me, yeah, those thoughts all went through my head too. But I'll tell you what, 20 minutes after I finished watching the show, I was so fired up from this match and I love the way it ended because I love the fact that it just puts MJF over as that much more of a heel. It gives Jericho some time off to reinvent himself again. And it means that we're going to see more of this feud with both these factions. So just great ending to the match story-wise. Yeah, I totally agree. I think... um Anything beyond saying what you just said to me feels like it's a quibble and like any week of wrestling, you can pick out flaws in anything. And I just didn't want to do it. It's like, yeah, it's like, sure, did it look gimmicked? Sure, did they botch a move here? But it's like, you know what? There's that wrestling fan in me that's been around since I was five that just wants to enjoy this because it was a whole lot of fun. And I think they told a great story. So, yeah, I agree. I thought the ending was clever. I think um nobody saw like a surrender coming which is like i mean like how many war games have there been and this was basically a war games match and you just you know typically the first several of them which you know wrestling fans my age will revere the original war games but like the first three four of them were jj dylan the manager like tapping out it's like when you really think about it it's like how predictable is that like the weakest link in there is going to be the one that taps out but they actually managed to come up with something clever i totally saw it coming too where it's like he's going to throw him anyway and uh yeah i mean for you can't you can't win with wrestling fans because i think if it was really dangerous looking people would have been like oh that's stupid it's like he's an old man blah 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 but then god forbid they do something safe and you kind of you know it's fake anyway so why are you bothered it's like i'd rather it be a little safe and look safe than be super edgy like you know i yeah i'm bored with shane mcmahon doing his stunts every year um this one was mm. was not anything i mean the thing shane does is more dangerous than this but i don't care it's still it told a better story than shane just doing his like you know like the Strowman match was just a completely pointless match this actually had meaning behind it meaning and it had meaning without the 50 dollar cover charge that normally are charged to watch a match like that yeah. it was on free it was on cable television that that cage was super legit that probably mm-hmm. looked better than any other cage i've ever seen well lighting everything yeah it was super legit i i was very impressed with that and i mean if you did catch that match live you know i'm just picturing like a young kid watching this i mean i'm hooked on wrestling if i ever saw that for sure yeah um and like you said, Steve, I, I just enjoyed it a whole lot. 
I mean, MJF, he really is the future of that company, I think, as far as being, you know, the loud mouth, the guy who everybody's going to hate and they're giving it, they're giving him the ball. He's the, he's the fucking Barry Sanders of that company right now. <laughs> and uh, he's running with it very well. Um, and I hope he has a long career. He's and, 25 um, and he's doing main yeah. event level work on a hot wrestling show. Yeah. The future is the just sky's the limit for him. Tip of the cap. Tip of the cap. And it um, worked. They had I, uh, they were the number one show on um Wednesday, which is the first time AEW's done that. The number one cable show on television and for Wednesday night. And they yeah, so I mean they uh it was a hit. Did um did you see any of these articles about the blood and guts match that People said it set wrestling back 30 years. Did you read any of those articles? I didn't, but there were some people that were like pissed. Yeah. I'm sure that, yeah. Sounds like clickbait. Yeah, that's totally clickbait. Um, And me being a sucker, of course, clicked on it. So I can kind of fill you in on what happened. But (laughs) but basically, um, I I did see that, Mike. I think more what they were referring to is, I, I guess, some of the powers that be at WWE, you know, in an attempt to sling mud at something and, you know, kind of do what they can to stay ahead of the competition. I think more than anything, um, you know, just called this match out saying that it was a relic from 30 years ago that, you know, shouldn't have been brought back. And, and even when AEW first started doing these hardcore matches, I think the one that sticks out in my head most is Kenny Omega and John Moxley at full gear 2019 in that unsanctioned lights out match. That was a great match. Mm-hmm. Um, but WWE immediately poo pooed it specifically Vince calling it like, you know, we don't do that gory crap or anything like that. Um, I, I think blood and guts. Was, exactly. I think this was nothing more than a chance for him to take another stab at them um, in a way that's consistent with what he said in the past, which is just convenient for him. So, uh, yeah, that that's really all it was getting at. There really wasn't much meat to that story. Well, and what pisses me that's off good. about that is like the, some of the same people that probably said that just gave Adam Cole and um, Kyle O'Reilly a free pass on what was not, I mean, that was to me one of the most overrated matches of the last several months is their, um, their blood feud mm-hmm. match. And it just, yeah, it's like, yeah, I'd be interested in the same people that made that out to be this five-star match, like the one shitting all over AEW when, when I'll take the AEW one with the superior storyline and like actually everybody coming out of it ahead versus you know, two guys just not knowing when to end the match and it's just going on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So I guess you could say those articles are just a little bit of chum in the water. You could say. And I would. In yeah. a very, in a very bloody sea. Awesome. Well, very good synopsis of uh, blood and guts. And I guess that would lead us to our next section of keep the cave fabe. Matt Michelson's WWE Wall Street Wrap-Up. All right, Matt. So you've revealed... Uh, to us, something that I didn't even know. You've been a WWE stockholder? 
Yeah. How long have you uh how long have you been a member or a acting owner? Yeah. The WWE. Um, so I think it's been I want to say about 2 or 3 years now. Um a few years back, mm-hmm. uh my fiance Becky, her family are all well aware of how big of a pro wrestling fan I am and her mom was nice enough to give us um some shares of stock for I forget if it was Christmas, birthday, some sort of holiday. Um but she did grant me uh, one share of WWE stock, which we have hanging on our wall in our house. Cause you know, as a wrestling podcaster, you have to have those kind of things. So um, sure. I do have, I believe one share at the moment. I, I owned more shares recently. Um, I think it was, I want to say 2019. I had a few more um, back when the Fox deal came through with uh, SmackDown and their stock was at an all time high. Um it's come down quite a bit since then. So I've, you know, kind of parted ways with a lot of the stock, but I do still have one share left. So as a shareholder, every year, WWE is obligated to send you via mail, like snail mail, not email, uh, hard copies of their annual financial earnings report. And they just like everything else in that company, they go all out from a marketing standpoint. Um, For our listeners, obviously this isn't a video podcast, so you can't see this, but you essentially get a bound book in the mail. Um, This year's one has a picture of Charlotte Flair on the cover and their theme for the year is think beyond. So that sort of reflects a lot of what Vince talks about in this earnings report, which, oh yeah, by the way, uh, Vince McMahon writes the intro letter which is the first three or four pages of this and basically hits the highlights of big things WWE has done in the past year and is going to be doing in the future. So yeah, it's pretty interesting, but yeah, I'm a WWE shareholder. So all these interesting uh, business side of the wrestling business facts and factoids um, are sent to me in a nice color, you know, neatly printed bound book every year. Do you get to talk to like do you get to refer to him as Paul Levesque instead of Triple H? Is like do you get do you get that right to do that? Like, uh, you know, that's a great question. I actually do. Um, and what I mean by that is, with this annual report, you also get a ballot, and there's every year a list of things to vote on. They'll have a vote for all kinds of stuff. One of the things they do have every year is the board of directors. And you're required to basically vote whether you approve of or don't approve of the board of directors. So you basically get a list of names. One of the names is Paul Levesque. Um, Stephanie McMahon is also on that list. Vince McMahon's also on that list. There's a handful of other folks as well, mostly on the, you know, the business side of the house that you don't really hear about on television. So, you know, most of them, quite frankly, I've never heard of. I'm not sure what their roles are, if they're good at their jobs. So based on that, I don't think I'm probably the best person to vote on, you know, if they should have that position on the board of directors or not. I mean, obviously we have some very strong opinions about folks like Triple H, Stephanie, Vince, their role on the television shows. But beyond that, um, yeah. So, but to answer your question, Steve, yes, I am fortunate enough where I get to refer to him as Paul Levesque. And even on some of the earnings calls, occasionally, very occasionally, he may make an appearance. So that's always fun to hear. Well, maybe one last thing before you go on is that maybe with your connections, you could, uh, we could get Paul Levesque on the podcast at some point. It's possible. I mean, if he wants my vote, I think that's a fair ask. So what were uh, some of the key notes that Vince wanted to outline in the first three or, uh, two or three pages of the, uh, the book? And we'll probably post a picture of this book on our Instagram. Follow Keep the Kayfabe on Instagram and Facebook uh, to see the saucy picture 
of Charlotte Flair on the front Saucy. of the. Yeah, I do have some thoughts on that, but you can check us out on Instagram to hear more about that. Um, so like I mentioned before, the first couple pages of this thing are essentially a letter from Vince McMahon outlining how they did in 2020, but more importantly, kind of where they're going, what their big accomplishments were and why they're doing what they're doing. So the first two pages of it, um, you know, it's like a full two page spread are all about um, WWE Network securing distribution on the Peacock app, which for those of our WWE fans who listen, you're probably well aware that Peacock is the place to go now for WWE content. Um, one of the, a couple big things I'll mention here, because Vince writes a lot. He says a lot. He explains kind of their strategy for it. Basically, the highlights are pay-per-views back in the day were the way to go. But once streaming services started coming around, WWE wanted to get ahead of the curve. So we saw the birth of WWE Network. And it was actually a great business move for WWE because, you know, to kind of get into the business side of this, pay-per-views are very expensive to run. And a lot of the money that's charged, you know, for a $50, $60 pay-per-view does not go to the company or the organization putting on the event. So ultimately, fans are required to pay a lot of money. And the company usually doesn't end up making a ton off of it. The rest goes towards distribution, um, you know, whoever manages the pay-per-view activities, things like that. So Vince's argument for WWE Network was, yeah, we can charge fans instead of $60, $10 a month. They get access to all this free content. Oh, and you get the pay-per-views. And WWE gets to keep all of that money instead of just a very small fraction of it. So they actually end up making more selling pay-per-views through WWE Network than they would through a traditional pay-per-view model. And have you guys ever heard that Shane uh, McMahon is the one that kind of got Vince hip to that concept? Like, I feel like Shane McMahon was kind of like Mark Cuban um, back in the nineties. He knew what was coming. Did you guys ever hear that? Am I wrong? Or did you hear that? I I haven't heard that. Um, and you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to take a deeper we- dive in that. I, no, it, it's it's totally fine. I mean, uh, quite frankly, I mean, you know, there's a lot in this letter that, you know, Vince doesn't directly call out Shane for that, but I can't imagine he would. It, it's very vague. and high Oh, this level. was back in the past. Okay. This was back in the past. Like, um, I, I, I think I heard something that Shane was like, dad, streaming is like the future. But anyway, it's not a, it's not like a big thing. No, I feel of information. And thankfully, I have a book of it in front of me, and I'm about to hit you with a couple more things. So, 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 two more things I'll say about the Peacock transition. Um, so, earlier this year, quite frankly, the Peacock app, I think we've talked about it on the podcast. It hasn't been all like, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It, it's been not the most enjoyable experience, especially if you're used to WWE Network. Um, for our listeners overseas, obviously you haven't had the pleasure of experiencing the Peacock app. WWE Network is still used elsewhere, but in the U.S., everything's on the Peacock app now. So there were two reasons, according to Vince, and this is really interesting to hear. These are things I think we've speculated before on the podcast, but actually hearing it from Vince and in this earnings report is really interesting. So two things. One is um, WWE Network, the struggle that they had with it is you see all these different streaming services popping up now. You have Paramount Plus, you have Netflix. Every channel, every company is starting their own streaming service. And I think that's really become more mm-hmm. of a thing in the past two years. So as part of that, to get ahead of it, Vince made the call of, okay, well, it's going to be really hard to punch through with just WWE content. 
But if we bundle it with something else that more people will subscribe to, if they're weighing their options, we're going to have a better shot of getting this content in front of people and convincing them to keep paying us for it. Right. So that was one piece mm-hmm. of it. Now, so, and that's where the partnership with Peacock came from. The other thing is Peacock mm-hmm. currently has 33 million registered users. WWE mm-hmm. Network had just over 1 million. So really? if you think about that, part of Vince's strategy, and he directly says it in here, is think about all the people who don't watch WWE television but could. And it now makes right. it accessible for them if they have the Peacock app. So really smart move on Vince's part. It's also something then he doesn't even need this whole group of folks within WWE studios anymore to manage the network. He will for overseas, but it takes a lot of the burden off of them in the U S so really smart move business-wise migrating over to Peacock. And like I said, it's two pages in this letter. So clearly WWE thinks it's a big deal and it is. It is. I, I, yeah, I mean, as an outsider, as a non-expert in TV, it seemed to me like it's a huge win for WWE for all the reasons you said. I mean, Peacock had a far greater footprint than um, um, WWE Network ever would have had. So it's like now they're part of a larger animal. And then I thought I read recently, too, that like when w, when Peacock added WWE and The Office, and we can debate which one was more... <laughs> an effect here but their subscriptions went up nine million so i mean obviously yeah. probably a lot of people were excited about the office but still that's that's a huge feather in the cap of wwe yeah yeah the office was a huge get i remember when people um learned that it was no longer on netflix people were fucking pissed and um you know because the office is just such a comfort show you can throw it on doesn't matter oh, yeah. what season what episode Kind of like wrestling, same thing. I mean, I've said on here before, like sometimes I like to throw on a little 1993 Halloween Havoc to go to sleep. Some people, you know, throw on season six, uh, Pam and Jim go on their first date. I don't know. I'm not a big Office fan. No disrespect to Office fan. I was a big fan of the British Office. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I'm not not an expert here. (laughs) Love it. All right, Matt, what else you got? Um, well, so the next two things, I'll, I'll try and be a little more brief with these, but I, from a business standpoint, these are both positives. I think as fans, though, there's a lot of arguments to point out some of the negatives along with these things, but I'll just take them one at a time. So the first thing is, uh, and I'll just read it verbatim, despite restrictions that inhibited, excuse me, inhibited our ability to stage ticketed live events, WWE never went off the air but instead innovated to bring fans into events virtually. So the article goes on, obviously, to talk about the Thunderdome. A couple of noteworthy things to mention here um, are that last year when WrestleMania was all, uh, for the first time, no people, right? It was the first time it had ever been two nights. They do mention that it generated a record weekend subscriber uh, view count a number of editions. Um, but obviously, you know, like, Yeah, why wouldn't it? Everybody buys a ton of subscriptions to WWE Network the weekend of WrestleMania. So, I mean, you can take that for what it's worth. They do say it was 20% more than the previous year. So you you do have that. Now, granted, they're, you know, in an era when there's no new television really being put out at that point. Like you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, right? TV was not, you know, like how it is now. I think pretty much everybody else has figured out how to operate within, you know, like COVID-19 restrictions and things like that. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But 
you know, to be very fair, they did do it. They did innovate, I think, before a lot of other places did. So there is that. The other thing that Vince mm-hmm. talks about in here um, with respect to uh, restrictions and everything that's gone on over the last year is that Monday Night Raw's viewership um, has been successful, meaning it stayed exactly the same. So, you know, if you want to think of it that way, like you didn't lose yeah. viewers um, despite not having a live crowd, that's one thing. If you listen to any other podcast, especially Brian Alvarez, who happens to be one of my personal favorites, just because he really tells it like it is, he's got a lot of insight into the industry. Um, A lot of viewers who watch Monday Night Raw these days are basically on autopilot. They've been WWE fans for life for the most part. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to actively be watching the show, right? Like people may just turn it on and have it on while they're on their phones or doing whatever else. So you can't really put a lot of faith in, you know, these statistics, like, like saying that Monday Night Raw viewership is unchanged. Well, the same people who just turned on the TV before are just turning on the TV now. Um, well, you know, and is that a strong argument to make in a pandemic when people couldn't go anywhere? Like, wouldn't wrestling, I mean, you know, if there was something that happened that ratings across the board on television went down, that makes sense. But in theory, more wrestling fans are sitting at home on Monday night. So yeah, I don't know. That mm-hmm. doesn't hold a lot of water. Right. Now they do go on to say that SmackDown viewership increased 8%. Um, but you know, you think about 8% of 1.5 to 2 million is, you know, could be an error week to week as you know, viewers bounce up and down depending on how good or bad the show is. So ultimately there's not a whole lot of insight you can get out of this, but the next part of this is really interesting. So that's talking about COVID-19, you know, shows, things like that. But there is the next point that Vince makes is WWE not only stayed on the air, but they also increased production by nearly 40%. So what that really means is the previous year they had much less content. This year, they created 2,370 hours of programming. I mean, just take a second to think about that, right? Like, how much wrestling is that? Mm -hmm. And we talk about it on this show, like, Monday Night Raw is three hours. Then you have SmackDown. Then you have NXT. Then you have NXT UK. Uh, All these different promotions. There's 205 Live. There's Main Event. There is so many hours of wrestling every week produced by this company. Quite frankly, like, I couldn't even tell you half of these shows what's happening right now. It's just too much wrestling to watch. So another metric they threw out there um, and, you know, I got to give another shout out to the what culture podcast. One of the folks on there um, does refer to them as the content company and not the wrestling company. And, you know, after seeing numbers, I I couldn't agree more. And I I think it's obvious in the quality of the product too. It's just become very diluted. I think, uh, you know, where stories don't really mean anything. It's more about putting together as many hours of content as you possibly can for the sake of satisfying mm-hmm. shareholders. And I, I personally, yeah, this is just my opinion, obviously, but I think that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It's it, yeah. And it hasn't felt like it. I mean, I think when the WWE network launched, they had like legends house and all this stuff. And I don't know, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like there was like a much more content. So I don't know where this content was, but yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Quantity doesn't mean quality. Yeah, exactly. Truly. Um, so the last thing I'll touch on here, there, there's a lot more in here. We could spend a whole episode, honestly, picking this whole thing apart. But one other thing I do want to touch on just to, as Michael Cole would say, shifting gears now, 
Um, there is a little bit in here that talks about uh, their e-commerce and what they mean by e-commerce is like WWE shop, their merchandise, stuff like that. Um, so it turns out that WWE's e-commerce revenue grew 38% in 2020, which is just hmm. a huge jump. That's significant. Um, yeah. And so, so that, that plays into a couple different things. So over the past year, they released the stimulus checks. Products. What's that, Mike? I'm think I'm thinking some stimulus checks went some to uh, WWE Shop.com. Yeah, they got yeah. those that merch they always wanted to get. Well, mm-hmm. there's no way you're going to buy that six thousand dollar Fiend Universal Championship belt without a stimulus check. So you're True. probably right. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of championship belts, to steal one of Mike's segues, there were 18 new championship title belts released on WWE Shop.com last year, and those generated. What? growth the belts alone uh sales went up more than 100 percent year over year meaning they sold double the number of championship belts this year that they did last year they told so, they sold 16 instead of eight and, <laughs> yeah. and that probably accounts for like this massive revenue jump too yeah oh my god yeah so I, the only belt that i would ever buy would be the 24 7 championship because i'd love <laughs> i mean like if it would if, if we were back in like normal times where we're doing bar crawls, I'd love to go out with my boys and we would just, you know, jump one another night at you know, bar to bar and have like a fight in every bar to try to get, you know, changing of hands Switch of the twenty four seven champion. And somehow That'd be fun. somehow our truth would come out of nowhere and take it from you. Yeah, exactly. I- I don't doubt it. He probably follows that thing anywhere it goes. He's like Santa Claus with the 24-7 title. No matter who's 24-7 that... title, he gets it. <laughs> That's right. crazy, though. That's yeah. a great stat. Yeah. Well, and so so a couple more uh, just regarding e-commerce. So, um, so I don't know if you guys remember, there was an episode of... Uh, I can't remember if it was raw. It may have actually been a pay-per-view, but there was something a segment where the New Day came out in gears of war costumes and basically wwe partnered with uh the company that manufactures that game and that alone uh just triggered so many additional sales there's not an exact number in here but what happened was they also partnered with microsoft and released a couple of new video games you guys have probably seen commercials for things like wwe Supercard and wwe champions like those mobile phone games those two games right. together have has have had, and this number just blew my mind, 140 million installs. Like that many people Damn. have just downloaded what? those games. Yeah. And you think about how many people watch Raw every week, right? Like 1.5 million. But that many people are wow. installing these games. Just unreal. So that's then, crazy. Course, I mean, it's almost like a it's like a candy crush game. Yeah. That like you like the better you do at Candy Crush, the better moves and wrestlers you unlock. That's that's crazy to me. 140 million just in one year. Yeah. Yes. Um, what? Yeah. Unreal. I. It kind of makes me want to go download it after this just to see what all the hype's about. But yeah. So then they'd have to change the number again. Um. So that's <laughs> that. Those are the big things. The one other thing I just want to mention real quickly that is also significant. Um is WWE's made a ton of effort. And I think we kind of knew this before, but they've really started to focus on international markets more and more. And, you know, a couple of years ago, Jinder Mahal was crowned the champion because we were told WWE was trying to gain market share in India. 
and they haven't stopped. So turns out that this year um, they've actually made even more of a push where WWE Network is now being offered through a service called Sony Live or Live. It's spelled L-I-V. Um, but you can actually subscribe to that now in India uh, and it's available in local currency. So it makes it just a little bit easier for like the Indian uh, civilians to purchase. Um, there was also the Superstar Spectacle earlier this year, which was like a really quiet WWE Network original where Jinder Mahal wrestled a bunch of no-names. Drew McIntyre wrestled a bunch of no-names. Um, WWE supposedly has localized stars in India. So there's like this whole other side of the business that we here in the U.S. haven't even seen yet, um, which I just found really fascinating. Mm. The same is true actually in China, where they've partnered with companies and they're broadcasting shows in Chinese, in Mandarin and English. Um, and then lastly... They just announced a multi-year distribution agreement in Germany uh, just to get more TV and digital over there. Um, and then in the UK, they've partnered with BT Sport, who's like the provider in the UK that they've always worked with. But they're now going to be producing, and I don't know if they've started this already. And Steve, I don't know if you still follow NXT UK at all, but, um, but the plan is to produce NXT UK out of the BT Sports studio in London, which I mm. think is a move from... Uh, Cardiff, I want to say, or Blackpool. I forget where they previously hosted NXT UK, but it sounds like it's going to be in London if it's not already. Hmm. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I, I wow. didn't either. I've kind of dropped off on, on UK, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I like the product, but yeah. Right. Yeah, there's That's a lot blowing of... blowing my mind. Yeah. But yeah, That's so... blowing my mind, actually. Yeah. Like, now that, now that they're shedding a little bit of the uh, roster... In the grand scheme of things, you know, shedding Samoa Joe and, you know, some of these other people, it's like, I'm, it's, it, it does, it probably Vince doesn't even bat an eye. Nope. No, I guarantee it. I mean, you gotta, one thing you gotta remember, like, you know, a lot of bad things have been said at the end of the day is like to say in corporate America, but at the end of the day, WWE is a corporation and yep. earning as mm -hmm. much profit as possible regardless of what the fans want, regardless of how they've always done things, profit is going to be their number one incentive, number one motivator. It's always going to take priority over creative stories, the fans, all that stuff. So, so if you really want to see where the stories are going to go for the next year, what WWE is thinking, what might happen, check out their annual report, follow their you know, follow them in the news, check out the business side of WWE. I guarantee you anything you see there is going to be a great predictor of what you can expect for future television. And with that, that is Matt Michelson's WWE wall street wrap up. Thank you, Matt. That was very enlightening and absolutely blew my mind. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's so crazy how the uh, landscape of the business have shifted, you know, when you would put your money into people. And now when you can put your money into the production of belts and sell 140 million of them, I mean, pfft, hello, crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, you know, you know, you, you, not many podcasts are going to get that inside information because they don't have an insider like we do. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's where we excel here at Keep the K Fabe. That's right. Get our finger on Absolutely. the pulse of everything. And uh, speaking of pulse, we got a great promo of the week coming from Rick from Miami. 
This is one of my all-time favorites. This comes from the bad guy, Razor Ramon. He's out to eat at a restaurant, and he has a little beef with a server. Let's take a listen. Nothing too good for Razor Ramon. Good food, good drink, good chicas. Only some people in the WWF, they've been putting Razor down, saying he's not good enough. What do they think? I'm some kind of a pig? Some kind of an animal? You know what I think? I think maybe they're scared. I think maybe they're afraid of Razor Ramon. What is this, man? It's the bill, Senor Razor. You got a bill for me, man? You know who I am, man? I am Razor Ramon. People find out I eat in this restaurant, they line up down the street, Chico. Get out of here, man. What's next? Maybe I could mop the floor for you, huh, man? You like that? Maybe I mop your floor. Want me to go in the back? Maybe I could wash some dishes for you, man. Huh? You like that, man? Huh? Here, man. Come here. Maybe I picked the food from your teeth. Would you like that, Chica? I picked the food for you. What's next, man? Huh? Maybe I could bust the table for you, Chico, huh? Would you like me to clear the table for you, man? Maybe I could clear the table, huh? Is that what you would like, man? I clear the table, man. I clear the table for you, man. Boy, oh boy, I would not want to be out to eat with Razor at a table for two with old Scott Hall. He really put the boots to that server. And uh, I feel really bad whoever had to clean that up. Yeah, man. Like I've worked in restaurants before. My parents actually own one, but I've never had to take a toothpick to the face. So I feel bad for (laughs) that server. You know, it makes me wonder, what are these servers doing now? I can only assume one of two things happened with that server. One... He continues to lack machismo or maybe that situation made him rethink his life and maybe he's got maybe he's oozing machismo of his own right now and he's like a a little razor ramon running out there like like now he like rules half of miami i don't know i hope so because i hope he learned from that because he was in the wrong well hopefully he didn't pick up a hardcore cocaine addiction or opioids because i (laughs) know that's a big thing in the service industry also that took a turn. But, um, yeah. Well, that's going to probably do it for this week of Keep the Kayfabe. Boys, this was a lot of fun talking about a little uh, business of the, the, the great wide world sport of wrestling. I'm glad we got to cover Blood and Guts. We have Double or Nothing coming up with AEW. We have more uh, hard-hitting action coming up with WWE at Backlash. You can see that on Peacock. <laughs> that's right. All right, boys, if you do three things this week, stay hungry, stay humble, and stay hard. Charlie's not here this week, um, but I'll do my best. Triple H!